you want to turn to our scripture for this morning, you'll find it in the second chapter, second book of Corinthians in the third chapter. Today, if, if you weren't aware, it's Transfiguration Sunday, as Jennifer was telling the kids. And the Transfiguration of Jesus really is one of those awe-inspiring, you know, up-there miracles that we see in the Bible. You know, we've got the miracles of Jesus. We've got the, the healings. Uh, we've got the, the uh, throwing out of the demon-possessed. We've got, even in the Old Testament, there are healings and there are battles that are won because of what God has done. But in the transfiguration and in a couple of other instances in the Bible, there is this explosion of God's presence that we don't always see. Not just in a, in a figurative way, not just in a, in, a, in a very real, literal, visual way, God's glory comes onto the scene. And the people who are there can see with their full eyes what the glory of God looks like. You know, if you go through the, uh, the various stories in the Bible, there are several other uh, moments that come to mind. Uh, think of the Israelites as they were uh, leaving Egypt and God led them with a pillar of a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. I'm not sure about you, but that pillar of fire would sure scared me. Or think about when Moses went up to Mount Sinai and the presence of God descended upon the mount and the book of Exodus tells us that it looked as if the entire mount of Mount Sinai was covered with a burning flame. So much so that when Moses comes down off the mountain, his face is glowing and the Israelites are scared to death. I think also if we go to the New Testament, in the early chapters of Luke where the shepherds one night are just minding their own business, taking care of their sheep like they're supposed to, and all of a sudden, the angels appear before them in glorious splendor, saying, glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, goodwill towards all men. Or even in Acts, where Jesus ascends into heaven, and the disciples see the glory of the Lord as he ascends on a cloud. The transfiguration is much like those stories where the glory of God is very evident. The glory of God is visual in such a dramatic way that I don't even know that people can help but be scared by it. I don't know if, if there would be, for me, any other response than either to draw away in fear or, as the disciples did, bow down and worship. You know, as the disciples saw Jesus glowing and saw Moses and Elijah standing next to him and talking with him, they, they really did what probably would have come naturally. In fact, they did what they thought as good Jews they should do. If you think in the Old Testament, where was the glory of God? As, as God traveled with the Israelites and lived among the Israelites, where was the glory of God located? It was a physical place. 
It's the Holy of Holies. That was where God's presence was. And the, holy, the, the high priest was the only one who was to enter. In fact, no one else could enter to the point where if for some reason the high priest did something in that holy of holies that he wasn't supposed to do and God struck him down, the only way that anybody could get him out was because they had a rope tied around his ankle and they would literally have to drag him out because no one else could go into the holy of holies. As we look at these various events and stories in the Bible, they seem so dramatic, yet they seem, how do I want to say it? They seem like it does not happen very often. They seem to occur only for special occasions when the glory of God is evident. Yet as we look at this third chapter of 2 Corinthians, Paul talks about the glory of God even pulling from not just the transfiguration, but pulling from Moses and his veiling of his face before the Israelites, pulling from that story and saying, the glory of God is here among you right now. The glory of God is even within you right now. So let's look at the third chapter, verses 12 through 18. Having therefore such a hope, and the hope that he is talking about is the spirit that comes, this new covenant that Paul is talking about that supersedes the old covenant that gives us hope that we can, speaking to Gentiles, that we can reach the Father. Having therefore such a hope, we use great boldness in our speech and are not as Moses who used to put a veil over his face that the sons of Israel might not look intently at the end of what was fading away. But their minds were hardened, for until this very day, at the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted, because it is removed in Christ. But to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But whenever a man turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as the Lord, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You know, the first thing that, I, that we, we see when we look at this particular passage, in the context of chapter 3, as I mentioned earlier, Paul is talking about the new covenant. He's talking about the covenant that's being made with the Spirit that supersedes a covenant that was made under the law, a covenant that was brought forth under Moses a covenant that was 
one of rules and regulations of particular worship types, of particular sacrifices, of particular ways of living. In a sense, the Israelites were boxed up in a particular manner in which they could only do certain things. And then there were certain things that they were not allowed to do. Maybe one of the most uh, visual examples of, of how the um, disciples encountered and struggled with that was Peter's vision in, uh, in Caesarea. Where this big sheet comes down filled with all these animals that the Israelites are not allowed to eat. And the Lord says to Peter, kill and eat. And Peter says, what in the world are you talking about? I'm, an, I'm a Jew. I, I can't do this. The, the laws, the, the regulations, the, the, the rabbinical, the sabbatical code do forbid me from taking and killing and eating. And the Lord says, don't call unclean what I have made clean. Because with the coming of Christ comes the Holy Spirit. With the coming of Christ comes a new covenant that Paul says gives life. In verse 6 of chapter 3, he says that the letter, the letter, speaking of the law, at the end of verse 6, the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. And I would add life abundantly. So as Paul is, is really talking about, and he does this in a number of his letters, talking about the old covenant and then saying, but we are now under a new covenant that without its laws and regulations and things you can and can't do and things you can and can't eat, and, 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 uh, and I, I'm pretty sure that this would, I would probably not be able to wear this, whatever this type of fabric is. Types of fabric that you can't combine and wear and, and all of this. Paul is saying, there is liberty for those who live in the new covenant. As ministers of the new covenant, there is liberty. But there's a liberty to do what? There's liberty to, to do what? In, in the book of Galatians, in chapter 5, Paul speaks of this liberty as well. In that case, but he's very quick to say, now hold a second here. Don't go off on this big, wild tangent. Say, well, I've got liberty. I can do whatever I want. I can be whatever, whoever I want to be. I can go do whatever I want to do. I can just live it out and live it up and not worry because the grace of God covers me. There is liberty under the new covenant. Paul reigns him and says, no, not quite. Not quite. Do not use your liberty as a means for sinning. But use it, interestingly enough, he says, use it to be a bond slave to Christ. How interesting that Paul would say, use your liberty to become captive once again. The liberty that comes from the new covenant leads to bondage to Christ. But here in 2 Corinthians, the liberty that Paul talks about is a very specific liberty because the liberty comes from Christ. The liberty comes from the Spirit. And as we get to the end of this passage, 
And I want to focus on the last two verses of chapter 3. And I could go, I probably could take another six, I could probably take an entire six-week Bible study and try to figure out exactly what these two verses mean. As I was reading through some of the commentaries, I mean, they were picking out these Greek words and they were saying, well, that could mean this or it could possibly mean this. And they were taking uh, Paul's sentences and say, well, it could mean this. But I mean, the, the breadth of what they were talking about could fill up a Bible study. There's just so much there. And even last night as I was working through it in my mind, trying to figure out, well, God, what, Paul, what in the world are you saying here? Because it's just so confusing sometimes. And sometimes just, he, Paul's wordy as it is. He just does not like to be concise. Let me tell you what. But as he gets to 17, saying, The Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Liberty to do what? Liberty to be what? Now, I don't know if this is right or not, but this is what I came up with. Liberty to be the glory of God. Liberty to be the glory of God. Because as, uh, as ministers under the new covenant, as people of the new covenant... We have the Holy Spirit residing within us. We have the Holy Spirit working through and in us in such a way that we are almost, in verse 18, Paul says, we are with unveiled face, with a clear mind, with a clear attitude, with nothing in our way to prevent us from seeing fully the glory of God We are looking almost at ourselves, but at the image of Christ. But it's almost as a mirror. As we look at Christ, we are almost looking back at ourselves. Christ being the glory of God, looking back at ourselves. And as we are doing so, we are being transformed. We are being changed. Paul says, from glory to glory. From one glory to another glory, from a a smaller glory into an ever-increasing glory. Until we mirror Christ in the final day as closely as we can come as humans, as his children. Are we the glory of God? We very very well may be if the Holy Spirit resides within us. If we are living the new life under the covenant that comes from the Spirit. You know, the writer of James said something about mirrors too, didn't he? In his first chapter. He said, a man who talks the talk, but doesn't walk the walk, and this is my very, very rough paraphrase, is like one who looks at himself in a mirror and then as soon as he leaves, forgets what he looks like. James is emphasizing, it's not enough simply to say that you're a Christian, you better be backing it up with your actions 
and with your words and with your life. Because the liberty that you have received is not one to be used for your own gain, not one to be used for your own pleasure, not one to be used for your own benefit. The liberty you receive is one that is to be given over into slavery for Christ. And I know we don't like that terminology because of what it means in, in American history, but that is what Paul talks about again and again and again in his letters, that we are slaves to Christ. And because we are slaves to Christ, we live lives that when people see us, when people look at us and see what we are doing, hear what we are saying, and see the life that we are living, we as best as we can, and remember, they didn't have really good mirrors like we do today. As best as we can, we reflect and become the glory of God. So that as we are transformed into that same image, from glory to glory, when people see our lives, they see Christ living through us. It's just like Paul says, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. It's no longer Matthew Hall that lives. He has died. He has given his body, his soul, his spirit over to bondage for Christ. And it is Christ that now lives inside of him and reaches out beyond him to touch the lives of the world in which he lives. Is that your life? Is that your faith? Will you be the glory of God? Will you be transformed into his image from glory to ever-increasing glory until one day we can see him face to face and worship him at his feet? We are able to do that. And we are only able to do that because of what he has first done for us. And this morning we have an opportunity to remember, to celebrate, to think about what Christ came to do on our behalf, to give us the liberty that comes with the new covenant, to give us freedom to be his slaves. I invite you to turn to page 13 in your hymnal. As we begin the great thanksgiving in celebrating the sacrament of Holy Communion.
The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. It is right to give our thanks and praise. (laughs) It is right and a good and joyful thing always and everywhere to give thanks to you, Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. So with your people on earth and all the company of heaven, we praise you and join their unending hymn. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Holy are you and blessed is your son, Jesus Christ. By the baptism of his suffering, death, and resurrection, you gave birth to your church and delivered us from slavery to sin and death and made with us a new covenant by water and the Spirit. On the night in which he gave himself up for us, he took bread gave thanks to you, broke the bread, gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When the supper was over, he took the cup, gave thanks to you, gave it to his disciples and said, Drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so in remembrance of these, your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us as we proclaim the mystery of the faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and wine. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ that we may be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by His blood. By your Spirit make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world until Christ comes in final victory and we feast at His heavenly banquet. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit in your holy church, all honor and glory is yours, Almighty Father, now and forever. Amen. I'll invite at this time those that are assisting with with communion, if they would come forward. We will be serving communion at the rail, as is our custom. And invite you to come and experience and partake of the grace of God. Our communion is open communion. You need not be a Methodist, a St. Matthew's member. All that you need to be is someone who seeks the grace of God and desires to partake of His presence. So come and experience God anew this morning.